Hey, everyone, and welcome to Cozying Up with the Clear Cut, where we get up close and personal with women that inspire us. Today, I'm so excited to sit down with Eli Rallo. She is a New York City-based internet creator, podcast host, and author. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, too. So I know that you got kind of like your start on social media on TikTok during the pandemic, right? Yes, yes. Can you kind of talk me through like your journey first posting some of your TikToks and you're like your snack jars to now that you have your own podcast, you're writing a book. Like how has that journey been? Yeah, it was, it's honestly so crazy because I feel like now I can't imagine my life not doing what I'm doing. And I always wanted to be like some sort of creative. I studied theater in college and I always knew I wanted to write books. So that was all something that I planned for my life. But obviously TikTok wasn't planned. I didn't Mm -hmm. even know what it was. (laughs) And when I started, it was just like silly, making the snack jars, fun, happened randomly, very organic. And then I moved to New York to go to grad school and I was going to Columbia's journalism program. And I made a video like right before leaving that was essentially just me saying like, the content is going to switch because I can't sustain this anymore. And it's also just not the same like as it is when I'm at home. And I hope that's okay. And it was more than okay, which I find to be like a rare privilege of TikTok, but something that I think happened a lot more back then in like 2020 than it does now, where I was able to kind of just be like, if you guys came for this, but you want to stick around for me, come along. And they all luckily did. So I started switching my content to do lifestyle stuff when I was at school. And then slowly, like things just started happening. I was posting organically a lot of writing and I started my podcast because I was in an audio journalism class. So those things just felt like organic. And then my agents came into the picture because they saw kind of what I was doing. And it was just kind of like a spiral effect, which is so amazing and is like such a privilege that that's how it happened. Can you talk to us a little bit about your podcast and what it's about and how you started that? Yeah, so I took audio journalism as sort of an elective class mm-hmm. and I didn't know that it was something I was interested in or I didn't really know even what the market looked like for podcasting. I feel like 2020 was when podcasts started to grow in popularity and I had to make um, a podcast episode for my final. So I had interviewed one of my TikTok friends and then I just really liked the way that podcasting and also interviewing allows people to tell their story kind of like unfettered if you're the kind of interviewer that allows them to do that, I guess. So for me, it's kind of about like bringing people onto the show to talk about things that they don't maybe get to talk about. Or, you know, I think a lot of times we listen to a podcast episode with a guest and that person is getting interviewed about one specific thing. But I like to let people kind of like talk about what lights them on fire, talk about all the parts of themselves. And then if I'm not doing a guest episode, it's a lot about just mental health and having conversations really openly and fluidly with my audience. Sometimes I have like my own listeners and followers come on the podcast. So it's kind of just like an open forum to talk about. Yeah. I mean, when we were like, let's start a podcast, we were just like YouTubing and like Nat, who's yeah. our head of brand, was like YouTubing, like how to, what equipment to get yes. and like how to edit a podcast. Yeah, it's <laughs> so difficult. People think it's kind of like press start yeah. and then press end and then upload it. But it's like, there's so many inner like workings of it. So mm-hmm. it's been fun to like navigate that, I guess, too. That's awesome. So from doing your content creation on social media to having your podcast, how did the book come about and how did you find time to like juggle it all? Yeah, (laughs) it's a good question. I guess like when I was graduating from grad school, um, the job market was really tough and a lot of us who were at Columbia J School at the time didn't immediately get jobs. And it was the kind of thing where I had loans. I was getting cut off. Like it was time to be an adult. So I just took this random job working in insurance journalism. And I was incredibly unfulfilled. Number one, because I know nothing about insurance. But number two, because... What is insurance journalism? 
it's really just like the smallest, most niche like beat of journalism where you just write about the insurance market. So your only audience is like brokers and people that work in insurance. And so it was just unfulfilling and I felt kind of like lost. I decided to start sharing my writing on like a Substack blog while I was like simultaneously working in insurance journalism. So I started consistently doing that. And then in October of 2020, one, I think it was. <laughs> I had like a weird experience with my boss um, at work where he was just like being really creepy and it like went to a whole nother level. So I left the job and my intention with leaving the job was to find another job in journalism or writing. And then I signed with my first manager and I had a couple of like crazy months trying to like make money doing TikTok. And then in January, my agents reached out to me because they had seen the blog. They had seen my online presence and they had seen what I was up to. And they're um, literary agents at Park and Fine, which is like a literary media company. And they were just like, we love what you're doing. We think there's a book here. Let's talk. And so that happened in January. So I didn't really have the chance to like collect my thoughts, figure out what was going on with the TikTok stuff, find another job. It just really organically kind of happened. But I think that I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't trying to make it happen as well with like all the consistent sharing of writings. But I do feel like it was kind of like the right time and the right moment for it to happen. Can you tell us like a little bit about what your book is about and what the process, I mean, this is your first book that you're writing, what the process of going through that experience is like? Yeah, so the book is called I Didn't Know I Needed This. It's personal essays style. So a lot of people I think are having a misconception that it's a memoir, it's not. So personal essays are more like, think more like a trick mirror, uh, Gia Tolentino kind of style where each individual essay is separate from the rest of the whole, but it still goes in an order. And the order is the life cycle of a relationship from being single to being single again. So it starts and ends at sort of the same place. And it's governed by the rules lists that I'm sort of like known for on TikTok. So each chapter is a different list of rules, which is really fun and kind of like a creative way to weave in sort of like nuggets of advice. And so that's what it's about. I saw myself eventually writing personal essay because I was told a lot in college that that's my strong suit. But my agents brought the idea, like a kind of bare bones idea of the book to me when we met and I loved it. And I was like, I think we can make this something that we like form together. So that was really special because I feel like they knew and the book's called I Didn't Know I Needed This. I feel like they knew what I needed and they knew that this moment was ripe for this book. Mm -hmm. And it's like the only first book I'm ever going to do. So I've I think I had a lot of anxiety at first being like I I thought that it was going to look different. I thought I was going to be older writing fiction. I never thought this would be my first book, but I've made so much peace with the fact that like this is the only first book I'll ever have. And I, I love it. I'm so excited about it. I chose to take six months to write it. So I signed my book deal with HarperCollins in April. And um, unfortunately, HarperCollins had a pretty lengthy strike happen starting in around November that lasted till about January, maybe February. And due to that, it got slightly delayed, which was obviously not a blessing in any way because we didn't want them to have to strike. But a blessing for me was that I was afforded a bit more time. And so I think what was really helpful is that the first six months was like a roller coaster. And I turned in the book in like October, November. And then I had this break from it where if they hadn't been on strike, I would have immediately gotten edits back. But I had like two months away from the whole thing. So revisiting it once my editor came back from the strike was such this like refreshing moment where of getting to see it after that space. I'm really lucky that that happened for me because of the time. And now I just finished, literally sent it into them yesterday. Oh so it's crazy, but it was a whirlwind. I honestly like feel like I blacked out for a lot of it where like day by day I was like in it. But when I look at it like holistically, I'm like, I don't remember any of this oh happening, but now it's now we have, you know, 
all these words on a page and it's here. So did you find it like therapeutic? Yes. And I actually didn't know because I've made peace with so much of what I discuss in the book. I didn't know that, though, it would put me sort of back in the emotions that I was in when I was experiencing those things. So I think it was like a strange bout of therapy because I expected it to feel really like nostalgic, but I didn't expect it to feel so sort of like, I don't want to say sad, but like empty in a way, like very just like laying it all out on the table and like looking at it kind of retrospectively. So that was really interesting. And you briefly mentioned your rules. Yes. So which um, if you follow, you'll see that it's on your TikTok all the time, different rules. So how did that come about the rules? (laughs) So I saw someone do a rules for brunch. There's often like little, I would say like moments on TikTok where like a rules thingy or like listicle type vibes go sort of viral. So I did the rules for brunch and I just liked the format. It didn't go super viral or anything, but I had fun with the video. And so then I made rules for a first date and that one went incredibly viral. And then after that, I made rules for a Sunday because Mm -hmm. Sundays growing up in my house were just a really special day. My dad owns and works at still restaurants. And so growing up, he was never really home during the week. And so Sunday was like the only day that we got to see him because he took off work. And in college, I like really missed that vibe. And so I always tried to like recreate my home Sundays. And so I made rules for Sunday. That one like exploded. And then I did the rest of the week. And then it just kind of spiraled after that. (laughs) How do you come up with the ideas for the rules? Just like your own personal? Yeah, it's kind of a mix. So I'm lucky that like we have a great calendar with holidays and days and whatnot and like long weekends and things that like are really apt for the lists. I'm thinking about a college graduation list because I've seen that DM like a hundred times in the last Mm -hmm. week. So things like that where I'll just like keep in mind what my followers are asking for too. Can I ask you for an on-the-spot rules? Yeah. So I know that we're an engagement company and you're in a relationship. Have you ever thought about rules for what you would want like your proposal to be like? Yes, I have a list. (laughs) I don't remember it for sure, but I know I don't want anybody there other than me and him, but I do want a professional photographer. So like up to him to figure out how that's going to (laughs) happen. I want to be surprised, but I don't want to be like shocked. (laughs) Like I want it to be on a day where I just washed my hair. Do you know what I mean? Like I want to be surprised, but I don't want it to be like appalling. Like I had no idea (laughs) at all. And then I would love to have my friends and family there, but not physically there. They're at like a secondary location that I have time to get ready to go to. And he's conferred with my mom about an outfit that I'll be wearing that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know I want my my ring probably to be vintage, but I I switch every week about I love engagement rings. Like I'm obsessed with diamonds. <laughs> and every week it's something different. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, I love an oval cut diamond. And other times I want like a big fat square diamond. So I feel like he's going to have to like have his finger on the pulse of, of that like, moment. Yes. Of like everything I've said, because I feel like I'm open to any ring. I just want it to feel like me. Would you be involved in the picking of the ring? I don't know if I want to be. I know that that makes sense. And especially I am so particular and opinionated. So he probably would want me to be. I know that I want to kind of be surprised. I mean, I love all those rules. Yeah. If I had to recreate my engagement again, like that's what I Were you happy with your engagement? I was. (laughs) And I wasn't in certain ways too. Why weren't you in certain ways? So 
I would say it's because we got engaged in like a weird circumstance where we were filming a reality TV show. So okay, we yeah. could so we couldn't like ever discuss it. So I was engaged in secret for 10 months. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. So you're like, I want to just talk about this with people and wear a ring to like And I wish out. I was with my family to like yeah. celebrate right away because it was like, oh, you're engaged, and like I had to hide the ring. So yeah. it was sad a little bit. But now you can just like now you can make up for it for the rest of your life like constantly like I deserve this like I deserve to talk about this like always so we're gonna play an engagement ring game I'm gonna show you four different styles of engagement rings and you'll tell me kind of like the personality that suits this ring and your rating one out of ten one being the worst ten being the best for you got it okay no one can get offended okay no one can get offended yes So the first one I have is a five carat oval diamond set in a yellow gold plain solitaire. Oh my God. So this is gorgeous, like instantly obsessed if you can't see it. And you can can. try it on if you want. Um, (laughs) Here's my thought on this. Okay, first of all, that's insane. I feel like it's giving me like old money vibes, like, I think it's kind of a preppy look and I think people are might disagree with me because it also doesn't have to be. But on the right, like preppy woman who is just like sort of New England, I think it would be so gorgeous. I also think it's like loud but understated. It's for a kind of person who isn't super vocally loud and opinionated, like not like someone like me, <laughs> but somebody who walks in a room and you're like, she's a moment. Like you just know that she has it. Like she's sort of an it girl. For me personally, I'm going to rank this one a seven and I'm going to say something crazy. I have tiny, tiny hands and I want a big ring. Everybody wants a big ring, I think, but it's too big for my hands, I think, because like I have little baby hands. So that's why it's seven, but I love it. If it was smaller, it'd be higher. I think if it was a tiny bit smaller, it would be higher. Okay. The next one is kind of different. It is an elongated cushion cut. It's three carats and it's set east west on a pave diamond band. I think this is for somebody who's a bit outside the box. Like she isn't super cookie cutter. She likes to be different, but she still wants something classic. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna rate this one, I think an eight. I really like it. I mean, it's like I said, it looks smaller, great on you. Yeah, smaller <laughs> for my small baby hand, and it's just like different. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's not the kind of ring someone would have on a day to day. Okay, next we have a five-carat emerald cut. This is set with tapered baguettes on a platinum band. Okay, this is, like, my absolute dream ring at the moment. Like, I'm obsessed with her. Like, she's perfect. I think that this is a ring for someone with a big personality. It's classic, but it's a statement. It's loud like me. Like, she's giving – she walks into a room. Everyone's looking at this ring. I'm obsessed with it. This is a 10. 10 out of 10. Oh, my God. I literally showed my mom a picture of this, like, a ring that's, like, basically this yesterday. I was like, I'm obsessed. And she was like, it doesn't need to be that vintage ring you found on Pinterest. You can walk into someone. Like, you can find it. So I was saying, like, I'll never find it. There. I found it. (laughs) So elegant. Okay. Last but not least, we have a – Five and a half carat fancy yellow radiant with white trapezoid side stones. This one is for, wow, I love it. This one is giving like an air, a family heirloom vibes. Like they're super, like they want to do the tradition. Like their mom had something similar. Their grandma had something similar and they want everybody to be like, oh my God, your ring. Because this <laughs> ring, like, I'm sorry, I could never look at someone with this ring on their hand and say like, oh, that's not special. Like it's special Mm -hmm. so I feel like it has to be the kind of person who's ready to have those conversations like a chatty Kathy like she wants everyone to say something because how could you not for me I'm gonna give it a six because I think I want more of the classic 
just diamonds look. But I mean, this is insane. I feel like this is the kind of ring too when you've been married for 10 years and you're going to like get something special. Like you get this. The upgrade. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, this is the upgrade. She's gorgeous. Amazing. So we got one 10 out of a 10. So that's perfect. So yeah. we know what to get for your engagement. And now, yeah, now <laughs> we know. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for playing. Thank you. So I know that you're very into like Broadway and the theater. Yes. If your life was like a Broadway musical, (gasps) who would play you and why? Oh my God. (laughs) Like what actor would play me? Yes. That's so hard. I have a lot of celebrity lookalikes. Like everybody is always DMing me that I look like somebody and it always happens to just be like, any woman with brown hair and big eyes, everyone's like, oh, this looks like you. So it's hard for me not to say like any of the ones people always tell me I look like. Maybe Margaret Qualley would have to play me because she actually does look like me. Mm-hmm. And I think she's a great actress. Like in my heart, everybody wants Emma Robert, um, Emma Watson rather yeah. to play them because she's like smart and interesting and creative and beautiful and talented. Such a hard question. Would it be a play or a musical? I think I would want to play mm-hmm. because while I love a musical, my background is in playwriting and I feel like it would be a disservice to like everything that I studied and worked so hard for in college to say a musical, but everybody probably wants their life to be a musical because everyone's <laughs> happy and there's always happy endings and songs. Everyone's entertained during a musical. Exactly. So yeah, probably Emma Watson, but Margaret Qualley could do it too. <laughs> yeah. And then if it was a musical, honestly, like I would just want one of like the Broadway, like most famous Broadway dames like a Patti LuPone to play me in like, you know, if it was like 30 years in my future. <laughs> I love musicals though. It's a good question. Awesome. Um, I know that you went to journalism school. Yes. I always find it interesting because even when I was an undergrad, which was way before you, when you had to, when you majored in journalism, you had to like double major because they said journalism yeah. was dead. Yeah. What are your thoughts on journalism being dead or as a career? I think it's like so silly. I think <laughs> traditional journalism is definitely, I don't want to say dead, but it's not in its moment right now. You know, it's not having its best, you know, shining star moment. And I would say that was something that we talked a lot about when I was in grad school. But I would say what journalism is and the definition of it is really in flux and changing. I mean, podcasting is journalism. And like podcasts like The Daily out of The New York Times are like some of the most popular podcasts in the world. And that's the way that people get some of their news on a day-to-day basis. There's TikTok journalists. There are like professional journalists who use TikTok as a medium. So I would say it's really like shifting. I wouldn't say it's fully dead. I would just say the way journalism curriculum is going to look is probably going to change a lot Mm -hmm. because we even struggled at Columbia with a lot of the conversations they were having with us because they would say things like, if you want to be a real journalist, you have to delete your social media. And it's like some some journalists sustain their entire yeah, Twitter, career yeah. on Twitter or Instagram or any of these, you know, social media outlets. So I would say it's like changing. I'd say traditional print journalism is going to have a hard time staying alive. Like we even see so many of these big famous magazines shutting down already. I don't really know like how many people go from magazine over just like following people or E mm-hmm. or whatever outlet us on Instagram, you know what I mean? And so I would say it's tough, but if you want to be a journalist, you just have to find other creative ways to do it. And like at least my experience like working with a lot of journalists and like articles and stuff, there there isn't that much fact checking done for lots of the publications that are out yeah, there, except like tough. the big ones. Like obviously New York Times, yeah, like it's Wall tough. Street Journal, but most of the stuff that we're reading out there, like a lot of it is not like yeah. factual. You look at like a New York Post, like yeah. you could trust one out of five probably, you know? Yeah. And it's like even 
with my own experience of interviewing, like with certain outlets, I can tell, especially because I have the degree, I can tell when there is like levels of professionalism beyond measure being used where when it's like a Washington Post Mm -hmm. versus like when it just simply isn't. And I feel like that becomes a big issue with misinformation. Yeah. So how like should people who, you know, read the news or like gather their information, like how do they take fact versus like hard fact versus like what? is might not be like totally factual. I mean, Google has like, nobody knows this about Google really because they just use the search engine, but they have like a million different ways that you can fact check even images. They have like the reverse image search where you can like take an image and like see if it was doctored or like see when the original was like, for example, all of these outlets were one time posting that Taylor Swift was present in an award show that she wasn't at and using a photo from something entirely different. And if you had just reversed image search on Google, everybody found that it like simply wasn't that. Um, So things like that and like using your resources, I would say it's like more of an issue on TikTok. Yeah. And I just think people need to be so intentional when they are consuming content on TikTok. Like I will always say, or I try to at least, unless I'm having just like a word vomit day, like, oh, this is alleged or I'm not sure if this is true. But there are people who have built their TikTok careers off of like reporting news, quote unquote. And that's totally fine. But you have to take what they say with a grain of salt and just double check because they don't even have an outlet behind them protecting them legally or anything. Whereas like the New York Times, if they print something that's not right or they're misinforming their audience they will immediately do a reprint with the update Mm -hmm. and they have like legal teams like you can be sued so it's like i think you just have to know what's actually legitimate something like a new york times versus what's just not or sometimes not and be able to be intentional but it's scary because people don't do that extra work no and i like am guilty of falling for like anything i see on tiktok (laughs) on april fool's day i was falling for like they're printing news that was like fake news and I was like oh my god devil wears Prada like another movie like I was sharing it to my story like it's tough you have to just be smart yeah totally how do you um get inspired to create your content because I know you create all sorts of content sharing your life your opinions your career path like what inspires you Yeah, I would say just like this is so vague, but like people really inspire me. And I remember my playwriting professor when I was in college telling me to go through the world without my headphones on, both like metaphorically and literally, because when you start not like eavesdropping, but just watching the way people communicate and talk and think and like act, you have things to create with. And so I I would say whenever I'm in like a depressive episode or I'm like really burrowing into myself, I run out of like opinions to have and things to do because I'm not taking anything in. So I try to live a very vibrant life, which is like kind of exhausting sometimes. But every time I'm like, I really don't want to go do that. Pushing myself to do it a lot of times is because I know what great content it would make. Mm -hmm. So the world really inspires me just human beings, interaction, conversation, my friends, pop culture obviously is a really easy one too. Do you ever feel like burnt out or like uninspired to like constantly be creating? I think I get into moments where I feel a little burnt out. Um, But I would say that I have to remind myself pretty consistently, like how lucky I am that I get to do this and like what a privilege it is. And I would say just because something is privilege, a privilege and you're lucky, that doesn't negate one's ability to feel exhausted or burnt out. But whenever I start getting there, I'll just do whatever I have to do to mitigate that, whether it's like taking a few days off, resting, therapy, going on a nice walk because I just know that like this is like so lucky and such like a beautiful, I don't know, just like exciting and fun. And like, I'm so privileged that I get to spend wake up every single morning and like have 
an audience and I want to be able to be at my best for them. So I would say whenever I do feel like uninspired or something, I try to snap myself out of it. What advice would you give to like an aspiring content creator? Everyone says this. So like everyone will probably like groan at this word, but consistency is really important. Like I have watched people and yeah, it took them a year, but people I know start out on TikTok with like 1000 followers or whatever they have and grow it up to like 30K because they posted consistently. And like you have to throw a lot of shit at the wall for something to eventually stick. And when it does, you have to run with that, you know, over a lot of time. And like, obviously I've had random days where I made a video and grew 50K, but then I've had months where I couldn't even grow 2K. So I think it's important to remember that consistency is key. And while you are seeing the front facing individuals who blew up overnight, because they populate the For You page, most of the other people that are creating content on the app didn't blow up overnight. Mm -hmm. And you will get there. You just have to keep going. And how do you deal with like criticism or like negative comments? (laughs) I would say at first, like it really got to me, honestly. Like I struggle with self-esteem and I think a lot of the things that like people are being mean to me about like made it hard for me to like want to even get out of bed and like make content and be on the app at all but then I just realized how like oddly pathetic it is for them to do that because I feel like I'm a good person and like I wake up every day to try to make content for everybody to try to be welcoming and kind I answer my dms I've just been so I would say like specific about how I want to like share joy on the app and so intentional about that so when somebody comes on to try to tear me down whether it's like some assumption that they made up about me or my relationships or my life or talking about something that doesn't even make sense or telling me I'm ugly or whatever it is I just feel so bad for them because I'm like when I do have time in the day that I'm not working I will do anything before I'm mean to someone like literally anything and I just think that these people don't understand that privilege and success doesn't negate one's ability to feel and when you do comment something mean like I am upset by it and a lot of people will be like well that's pathetic you can't take criticism like you signed up for this nobody ever signs up for bullying and it's not criticism to hide behind a blank screen or be anonymous and rip into someone's life and their loved ones on a daily basis that's not criticism that's hate and it makes me really sad to think about what their goal could be by trying to do this to someone and so I I don't think I personally know anybody who spends their time on an anonymous account commenting hate I always think like those people must be so deeply like sad to hurt people hurt people or whatever, you know? I've thought about times too in my life where I've been jealous or said something mean or unkind to someone or like been not a good friend or something. And it's usually because I'm projecting and I'm insecure and I'm being a shitty person because I feel shitty. And so that's why I just feel bad for them. I'm like, wow, you must feel terrible. So do you just ignore it? It depends. Like, If it's, like, something really dumb, I won't block a person. But I'm, like, always down to block because this is, like, my space. I'm not inviting you to have access to it if you're just going to be an ass. Like, I don't want you here. And then that's where people will say about content creators, you can't take criticism. And I'm, like, I don't – you don't understand what criticism is. Criticism is, like, my mom saying, like, hey, I thought this video kind of felt wrong. Or somebody being, like, hey, I know you're well-intended, but this – I took this the wrong way and it upset me. Criticism is not like you're so effing ugly and you should die. Like those kinds of things aren't critical or even saying like your writing sucks and I hope you don't succeed or I can't wait to give you a shitty review on your book. That's not criticism. That's just mean. You don't even know me. I don't know you. And I don't want to take any constructive criticism from somebody who can't put their face and name to it. So I'll just block and I don't really care what people say about that anymore. Yeah, totally. And you don't want to give them the attention exactly. that they're looking for. That's what they want. They yeah. are craving it, clearly. 
So transitioning to your book, <laughs> um, I'm really excited. You said it's coming out like later this year. Yes. What can people like look forward to in the next couple months from you? So exciting. So firstly, I finished it like literally yesterday, the day before we're recording this. So now things are really revving up, which is exciting. And pre-order is going to come before we know it. It'll come in the summer. Mm-hmm. So it's like already spring. It's like just months away. And with pre-order will be the cover reveal. And there's just going to be like special extras, be it extra little chapters that come along with certain like if you pre-order by a certain date or like signed copies. And then we're planning a really exciting and fun book tour nice. that is going to be 13 cities. I am so excited about that. And that will be happening this time next year. So once we get past the book coming out and all that press, we're going to do like a podcast X book tour. And I just want to meet everybody. But until then, honestly, now that I have like a minute to breathe, I'm kind of directing my sights on writing for film and TV, working on a hopeful adaptation for the book and doing the podcast. I love my podcast. Obviously, we'll always be TikToking. <laughs> Can't get away from that. Even when I try to take time off, I'm like, I want to TikTok. It's like my hobby became my job. So lots of fun stuff. Amazing. And what? where do you see yourself in the next like five, 10 years? So one thing that I really want to do is live off the grid, but I don't want to be off the grid. I just have always pictured myself in like a farmhouse, like drinking wine and reading and writing and like having that moment. I think I'll always have a place in New York, but I think I will have like a house on some kind of farm. I don't need farm animals. I just want it to be farm style, like cottage vibes. Like I am such an introvert. I think I would thrive with You're like- You're an introvert? Everybody is so surprised, but like I am, um, I would say a talkative and friendly introvert where like I do not get a lot of like social battery from hanging out with people but when I'm hanging out with people I'm on I just prefer to like be in my own little corner of my own world so I would say like that for sure and just writing I don't know what it's gonna be yet I know I want to do fiction eventually I know I want to do tv and film and one day like down the line down the line I would love to do a talk show and I love interviewing so I feel like that would be a really fun thing for like 15 years. That's awesome. Well, I'm really excited to follow along on your journey. Where can people follow you and stay on top of everything you're up to? Yes. So my Instagram is at Eli.Rallo. And then my TikTok is just at E-L-I-R-A-L-L-O, first and last. My podcast is called Miss Congeniality. But if you follow me on Instagram, you can get all the updates about that and the book, which is coming out later this year. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So fun. I'm Olivia Landau, founder of The Clear Cut, and you just listened to Cozying Up, where we feature women that inspire us. You can tune into episodes wherever you listen to your favorite shows and find us on social media at The Clear Cut.